We are all born with a purpose, yet identifying what that is can be very challenging. It can be even more challenging to find purpose in your business. So, is it possible to find purpose in your business and make profit at the same time? Not only is it possible, but a business led by purpose can be even more profitable than one that is simply led by profit. Join Robert Fukui as he explores how to be purpose-led and profitable while making a positive impact in your community. All right. Good morning. Hi, this is Robert Fukui, your host of the Purpose and Profitability Podcast, where we believe that having a profitable, purpose-led business can lead to community transformation. And uh, welcome back. And again, got my co-host, Eric Yoon of Standout Marketing all the way from Bakersfield, California. Eric, welcome. Hey, Robert. Thanks for having me again. Hey, no problem. How was your weekend? It's pretty good. I um, had this weird thing. I think I have like a pinched nerve. And oh. so I woke up and I couldn't grab anything, which is weird. That's but not a good other thing. than that, it was a really awesome weekend. <laughs> so, well, how do you feel now? <laughs> still can't grab anything, but <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> all right. Oh, well, well you can still grab yeah. your daughter, right? Um, with one hand. Okay. I could type. <laughs> I could type, so that's that's what matters. Wow, <laughs> well, that's strange. Well, hopefully that gets all gets better. Um, so today we're going to con- continue the topic of marketing. I know the last uh, couple of weeks we've been talking about marketing. So today we're going to talk about that one area of marketing that's probably the least understood, and and therefore it's probably the least taught. It's the topic of pricing. See, pricing is one of the four P's of marketing: <clears throat> product, promotion, placement, and price. So we. You know, most people, when you think about marketing, think about the promotion, the advertising and, and promotion. Obviously, you need a product to, to sell. And then the placement is how you, the, how, how the exchange happens, how the product and service gets into the hand of the customer, whether it's online or it's through a brick and mortar store or, or what have you. And then price, the fourth P, price, um, that's still uh, one of the four P's of marketing. Obviously, you have to set a price to sell your product and service. It's probably the biggest financial decision that affects the business on a daily basis, but gets the least amount of attention compared to the other P's. So, so Eric, we want to kind of kick this off. You know, one, some of the things that I, I see, uh, you know, a lot of business struggle in setting the correct price. And one of the symptoms I see of setting an incorrect price and really being underpriced or undervalued is when the business seem to be busier and busier than ever, but seem to be making less money. I don't know if you've heard this comments from any of your clients, but what do you yeah. think? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. We're tackling pricing right after last week, which was a marathon versus a sprint. Cause <laughs> I think having a marathon, you know, long-term um, mentality, I think that really helps you price well too, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, well, like one example is um, I had a client who, um, I was going to work with, but then it turns out their finances were, um, were struggling a lot. And, um, it was a, uh, it was a, all you can eat a sushi place. <clears throat> and, uh, once they turned into all you can eat, it seemed like, you know, on Facebook, it seemed amazing. There was a lot of buzz around it. Everyone's talking about it. Hey, we got to go there. They got like thousands of comments and things like that. Everyone's talking about it. But whenever I went, there weren't a lot of people. And my friend actually works there. So he was telling me, yeah, like they're just, they're just really struggling. And so, you know, I think that that goes to all that to say there can be a lot of buzz and there might, you know, and actually in that case, there weren't even a lot of um, customers going through. I'm sure initially there probably were, but they weren't able to sustain it for some reason. But all that to say, you know, all the buzz and the hype doesn't necessarily mean that it's a profitable, profitable business. And I think pricing um, every item 
or your services uh, appropriately is so important to make sure that it sustains and grows. <clears throat> yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, you see that a lot, especially when businesses start to suffer, they actually start to, to cut their price, hoping to get more more people through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, <laughs> that actually works against them because what they're doing, as, they're, as they lower their price, they're actually lowering their margins. And sometimes they don't realize they have to sell twice and sometimes three times uh, as much as previously just to get to even to where they were before. Mm-hmm. So you have to work a lot, lot harder just to make the same amount as before. So it actually kind of, it shoots your, wow. you, they, they shoot themselves in the foot by, by lowering their price that way. And what happens is because you're making less money and less, makes less, less profit, you have to find other ways to cut costs, which usually means you cut, cut quality in how you deliver your product and service. And then you just go into this kind of slow death. <laughs> so, yeah. so lowering the, uh, lowering the price is actually usually not the best way to go, but that's the first thing kind of, uh, one of the first things businesses do is start to cut their costs or cut their price. I mean, uh, discounting and all that to try and get more customers to the door, not realizing how many more, how much more in sales they need to generate just to get back to even to where they were before. So that's where you hear the, the comment, I'm working harder and harder, but not making more money or not making as much as I used in the past. So that sounds like yeah. this probably applied to, to the example you just gave. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, some even the big corporations struggle. It's not a startup issue. It's not a small business issue. Even the big corporations struggle with this. I mean, yeah, I, t- I talked, I think, last week about Subway having, you know, they're continuing their $5 uh, foot long for what? This is like two, three, four, five years now. Uh, costs are rising, but their price is still the same. So, which mm-hmm. means the franchisees are really suffering because they're not making money. A lot of franchisees, the owners <clears throat> themselves, aren't even taking a regular salary. They're just taking what's left over. JC Penney's did it a few years ago. Now you're seeing McDonald's do the $1, $2, $3 menu items. Um, and when you look at some of their uh, competitors are doing very well, um, they're not lowering their price. They're just maintaining their price of what it was or even increasing just because they need to, um, they want to make sure they deliver the best quality. Um, so you see even the big corporations struggle in the pricing thing and using price as a marketing tactic to generate more business. Um, so, you know, why, why do business struggle? And that's kind of one of the things I want to tackle on today. Why do business struggle with setting the price that they're worth or what I call value-based pricing or what Peter, Peter Drucker refers to <coughs> as price-led costing is figure out what price that you're worth and then charge that. Um, the reason why a lot of business struggle is because when you talk about value-based pricing, the really the inherent value of what your product and service is worth is very subjective. Um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. art to this. Um, yet most businesses just use some kind of analytical tool to get to, to set their price like cost plus where they take their cost of goods and adding a certain markup to it. Um, but none of that, that's all the objective stuff. That's fine. You know, you definitely know, you need to know your costs and you, you cover your costs and you got to make, you got to charge more than, than what you're paying for your materials and your labor and all that. But that's just a math equation. The true, you know, value to, to what you're worth um, it is very subjective. Um, I don't know if you're you're going to say something, Eric. So I want to pause here, and if if you had an example or a question or, or or what? No, that's good. Yeah, keep going. I think I was just just riding along with you. So <laughs> so yeah, so it's very subjective. And like I said earlier, you know, setting a value based price, there's a lot of art to it. Sure, there's the the math part of it, but there's a lot a lot of art to it. And so what I like to use as an example, the first example I want to give is art. You know, a painting. 
I was just, you know, yesterday uh, in Los Angeles, they had a free museum day. You know, most, all the major museums in LA and, and I don't know how many, there's a huge list of museums that are open for free yesterday. So my wife and I went to the La Brea Tar Pits and we went to the Tlacma, Los Angeles um, Contemporary Museum of Art. And, you know, when you look at these paintings and you, like, Picasso, because a lot of people know what Picasso is. You know, it's very abstract art. But you look at this stuff and you're like, that's worth millions of dollars. <laughs> you know, here, here you got some of the paintings yeah. are small <laughs> as, you know, about an eight by 10. And they're, you know, they're, they're worth upwards of a million dollars. Some of them could have taken two minutes to make it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it looks I like mean, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you have another painting right next to it, same size, right. you know, same kind of paint. And, you know, the, the cost of the, uh, <clears throat> the paint and the painting were probably the same. Yet the value of it, the perceived value and what it's worth and what people will pay for it is markedly different between a, yeah. a Picasso versus something maybe I did, right? So. So when it comes to setting a value-based price, really what is your product and service worth? Um, there really is a lot of art behind it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're going to say anything, but want to want to pause here for a second. Yeah. Cause um, yeah, going back to, you know, the, um, the point of long-term versus a sprint. And I think that's so important because um, like a lot, a lot of these people that sell, you know, for the value rather than I need money now. You know, the, you could you could automatically tell like when someone's focus is on their art or on their craft, on their product, right? Mm -hmm. And the quality of what they're doing, um, and you could kind of you could kind of tell when the focus is on that instead of trying to make the quick buck. You know, and I think there's a lot of it's, um, and I think a lot of times it's kind of funny because you know there is reality to if you're trying to start something, if you're trying to make a painting, right? If you're trying to do paintings and you need to pay rent that month, it would kind of make sense you know, to, um, to need to sell like today. And I think that's why, that's why most people, a lot of people that start businesses are in the need of money, you know, but I think it's, um, it's, you kind of have that luxury if when you're, when you're starting a business, like I told, like told some, a lot of people that I know want to start up businesses and they already have a full-time job, maybe a 40 hour a week. And, um, they want to start businesses and I'm telling them just to start it right now because you have the luxury of not depending on this business for your next paycheck, mm -hmm. you know, and then, um, that's not what you want to, you know, like kind of pigeonhole yourself into, but I think, you know, with a lot of these, um, a lot of these people that are able to charge that much, it's, they don't have the pressure of, I need, I need the money now. Right. And they might, mm -hmm. but you know, they'll live a lot more, uh, frugally, I guess, if, um, if that's what it takes to make sure that, yeah. you know, they're creating the quality that, that they want to make. And so, yeah, I think you know, when you when you're not under the stress of uh, having to make the buck, um, you do have the luxury of figuring out what is the price that you're really worth and charging it. You know, when they're when you're in the pressure of having to make payroll and paying rent and even just making yourself uh, paying yourself a little bit so you can you know feed your family, um, you tend to make um, bad business decisions, and, and pricing is one of them. So, like I said earlier they'll use price as a marketing method where they'll lower their price a little bit and in, in hopes that the increased sales volume will make up for it. So I remember when I worked for Coca-Cola for the, uh, for the local uh, baller and they always used to say, you know, volume cures everything. So mm. it doesn't matter how low they set their price, but as long as they make them in a, sell enough volume, they'll make up for everything. Well, that wasn't really true. <laughs> so yeah. we, we suffered okay. for that a lot of times. <laughs> so sales volume does not cure everything. So, you know, just say for, for instance, for instance, 
you know, when you're taking the cost plus approach, one of the problems with that approach is um, a lot of businesses assume that your market percentage is the same as your gross profit percentage. So, mm-hmm. for example, if your um, if your um, your costs are a hundred dollars and you mark up your 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 costs fifty percent to set your sales price at one hundred fifty dollars, right? So your markup is fifty percent of a hundred dollars. That's fifty bucks. So you, now your sales price is one hundred fifty dollars. They kind of work on the assumption that the gross profit margin is is fifty percent. They kind mm-hmm. of use those same terms as synonymous. The problem is the maths are totally different. Mm-hmm. So the fifty percent markup is fifty percent on your costs. Now your gross profit margin really is thirty three percent because your difference, your profit in pure dollar amount is actually fifty dollars, right? So you marked up your cost fifty bucks, so which means your your gross profit in dollars is fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. So $50 is a third of $150, which is your sales price. So your markup is 50%, but your gross profit margin is 33%. Mm-hmm. So that's one error. That's one common error that a lot of businesses um, take. The other thing now is when you start to discount, you know, say, oh, I'm going to discount my, my product 20%. Well, now your gross profit margin is 13%. Mm-hmm. Because so... So, because you've discounted your price twenty percent off the top, um, but now you so now leaves your gross profit margin at thirteen percent. So, um, huge difference. Now you have very slim margins in which to pay all your fixed operating expenses. So, which means the the increase in sales volume has to be almost twice as much just to get back to even. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So that cost plus approach just hardly ever works. Also, it's like I said earlier, is it's just a math equation. It doesn't really take into account the inherent value of what you're worth. Um, you know, one a, a good example is you know because a lot of times people are thinking business owners are thinking about their competition. I can't charge more than so and so, especially when you're looking at um, some of their competition are national franchises. You know, I can't compete against the big guys. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Um, mm-hmm. from some past clients. I can't compete against the big people. Well, well, that's not that's not true. You can compete against them as long as you're providing something of value and mm-hmm. you charge what they're worth. And people, yeah. you know, customers, we said this last week, I think, customers are very smart, sometimes smarter than they, I don't know, not say smarter, but more perceptive than even the business owner. They see yeah. value <clears throat> better <throat> than the business owner sees it for themselves. Right. And so they'll pay what you're worth. So if you have to mark your price up another 20%, to, to price it to what you're worth. I mean, people weren't going to have a problem with it as long as they, you know, see the value in it. You know, one great example is, is coffee. Mm-hmm. So I know you're a big coffee person, Eric. And, yeah. you know, I have in my hand here, yeah, Dutch yeah, Brothers. Yeah. You gave this to me for <laughs> Christmas. Thank you. And uh, if, a funny thing is I didn't have a coffee grinder. So I just bought one this weekend. So I actually got to enjoy <laughs> this finally this weekend. Um, great coffee. Um, not it's not Starbucks, right? This this isn't a, a big national or international franchise, um, but it's a you know a, pr- a privately held business up in what Oregon or something like that, um, Grants Pass, Oregon. So this bag of coffee, <laughs> one pound bag of coffee, um, I would imagine would you pay more than what you would pay for a one pound bag of Starbucks? Yes or no? Um, honestly, I don't remember. My wife got that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did some research <laughs> just in case. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the Dutch brothers, this one pound, um, private reserve is, is more expensive than you could get, you know, at, at your local Starbucks coffee down the street. Mm-hmm. And so here is an example of a privately held business 
mm-hmm. um, that price-wise is charging more than Starbucks, uh, a, a very recognizable brand. Mm-hmm. So why? Why are people willing to pay more for this brand of coffee versus a Starbucks that everybody knows about? What do you think, Eric? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, well, for one, I don't think, I'm, I know Dutch Brothers isn't out trying to, you're talking about competing with the big, you know, like the, like the head honchos in the business. And you know, I'm just I think, yeah, like that, why, why would, why would people be willing to pay more for Dutch Brothers coffee than Starbucks? Right. And I, I think, you know, as their, their focus isn't, tr- you know, trying to, they don't match, they don't price based on what other people are pricing. And I think their goal is, okay, this is our values. This is what we know we're worth. And this is what we're going to charge for it. And I think people recognize that. And, you know, their values are more on, you know, a lot of it's on the customer service and just the culture of, you know, when you go to the store and like this hat right here, this is Dutch Brothers hat, you know, and like, this is like part of their culture. It's really, it's really creative. And, you know, it's, um, they're very personal. Every, every Dutch Brothers you go to, there's, you know, there's, uh, they're very personable employees. Like there's stories of, for uh, some of the employees, they'll see a customer struggling and then they'll just pray for them on the spot and it hits the news, you know, and <laughs> that's part of their branding. So they know what they're worth because it's a lot about the personal connections, mm-hmm. you know, that employees make mm-hmm. with the customers. And so, um, so yeah, it's, I think it's pretty, you know, it's a strong brand and that's why people, people will buy it. <clears throat> and and the coffee probably arguably is better tasting than your typical. It's, it's much food. better. Yeah, it's much better than Starbucks. <laughs> so, you know, this is a great example. I see a lot of independent coffee houses around Pasadena that charge way more than Starbucks. You know, Starbucks latte costs about three bucks for, for a tall, you know, for their small size. You know, I go to like down the street, there's Copa Villa, there's Jones's Coffee. They're charging upwards of four twenty-five for this, for that same cup of latte, right? So dollar mm-hmm. twenty-five more than a nationally recognized brand. Why? Because arguably they're better tasting. Um, their their beans come from a better source. Um, they don't burn it during the roasting process or whatever. They the baristas <coughs> take care in how they, you know, how they pull the espresso, all that stuff, right? So for the for the um, I guess the coffee snob or the co- the person that really enjoys their their coffee, um, they appreciate that extra care and they taste it, right? Versus Starbucks mm-hmm. now is kind yeah. of the modern day Seven Eleven for coffee, so to speak. Remember before Starbucks, there was a Seven Eleven, or you got your gas station where you just go get your coffee for twenty five fifty cents. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost now to the point where Starbucks is kind of like the Seven Eleven of back then um, mm-hmm. in current days. So. Certainly, you know, people appreciate, as you said earlier, um, there's just a, a different feel. They're, they're more, you know, Dutch Brothers, more intent on the service. Um, they take care in, in the beans that they use and, and how they prepare their espressos and their lattes and their coffees. And people that, that appreciate that will pay for it. So it's not that everybody, you know, it's not, they're not going after all the Starbucks customers. They're going after the customers that really appreciate fine coffee and really appreciate more of the, the local and, and small, small business experience. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. And oh, while we're on it too, it's funny. I think it works backwards too, because a lot of people ask the question, why do people pay so much for Starbucks? <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their coffee doesn't even taste that good. And that doesn't <laughs> taste that good, but somehow, you know, like I'm drinking a Starbucks now and I don't even like it. Why am I drinking it? You know, but you know, I think that's, that's it. that too is, you know, the power of branding. It's like, it's that green cup, you know, it's the green straw. It's, you know, being, having your name called out by the person wearing the apron, all those things factor into that's why I'll pay a dollar more, yeah. you know, for my latte. But 
And these yeah. days, you know, I don't I don't go to Starbucks as much anymore either, but because they're all over the place. So sometimes when we're when right. we meet somebody, well, yeah. there's a Starbucks somewhere, right? So hey, want to meet at Starbucks? Sure. We're, yeah. There's got to be one around the corner. <laughs> sometimes there's three on every corner in each corner, right? Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I saw um, there's one place where there was a um, there was four Starbucks on three corners. Wow. Um, there's one on two of the corners, and then on the third corner, there was actually two because one was freestanding on the corner, and another one was inside the grocery store. So, anyways, um, it's funny because, like, well, in Shrek, I had one or two, I think it's two, mm-hmm. like the, the the Disney movie. Um, there's a like one of the giants is like destroying the town, and all of the characters are in one Starbucks. And at the stores that one, they all run out. And then you just see them go to the Starbucks right next across the corner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was so funny until I really saw, until I actually saw it. And I was like, oh, that's real life. It is real life. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got any questions for me as far as about pricing, value-based yeah. price? I think, um, yeah, one question is, I think this, this might help a lot of people. And um, I think there's still something I'm discovering. And I think we've talked about it before a little bit, but you know, the, when people know they're pricing too little, right. And they already have a customer base of people that know this is what I'm charging. Um, what are some things tips you have for people to be able to transition, you know, kind of a drastic, drastic, um, you know, price change, or do you recommend do it like a little bit out of a time over a course of a couple of years, or do you think you should just come out with a strong rebrand and say, Hey, this is who we are now. Um, what tips yeah. do you have in that transition? Um, so yeah, there's, there's, Two things. So it all depends on if it's a product-based business or a service-based business. So for a service-based business, it's a little easier because you just say, hey, all my new customers or new clients, this is my price. This is just my new price. Um, for your existing customers, depending if they're on a membership uh, membership subscription type um, base or if it's, you know, every year, like say for CPAs, like so for taxes, you know, they're um, the next time they do business with you is probably a year from now. So, hey, this is just our new price. If, uh, if it's a, like a, a subscription base, uh, you'll probably <coughs> want to grandfather people in or give them an advance notice for the next six months or something and then say, hey, this is our, our new price. Um, for, for a product-based business, especially like a retailer, um, you know, to go up 10 15%, you know, seems substantial, um, but it's not... It's not um, uh, not say out of the order, but it, it, that I think it's okay to go ahead and just increase the price 10, 15%. You know, if you're going to go, I had one, one case, if you had a couple, um, a couple cases where a couple of my clients, we had to increase the price um, as much as basically hundred percent. We had to double the price. Wow. And so um, it, for fortunately for this one example was that they were just starting to sell wholesale. They were, they were, um, they're going to have their first wholesale client. And so what I, and the, the business was small enough where I said, look, once you, once you sell that first order to your wholesale client, have an agreement with your, um, your new client. So I will suspend all retail sales for next six months and let you, and just funnel all my customers, all my retail customers to you let them establish the new retail price, which is really twice as much as what she was already charging. Mm-hmm. Um, th- and so that's, that's what we did. So that way it kind of took the pressure off for her saying, telling her customers, Hey, this is my new price twice as much. And I said, no, I've got a new vendor. I've got a new retailer selling my stuff here. Go, go here. Um, and let them charge twice as much. Um, it worked out fine. It worked out great. In fact, um, 
the um, seemed like her even her existing customers really appreciated the fact that number one, um, she was selling primarily online at the time, but she was funneling all her customers to a retailer that had a brick and mortar store. So people actually drove two to three hours to get to that retailer because they were able to try on uh, some of the things they couldn't try on before because she was selling all just online because it was basically a hair accessory um, um, product. Um, so, and, and the customers paid, not only did they travel, drive two to three hours to get there, but they also paid the twice as much. Mm-hmm. And so, and then six months later, then she started, she started selling retails on, on her website again. So, um, that was one example just kind of worked out because, you know, the, the way, the way it went off with a new wholesaler, new, a new wholesaler client that she had, um, for other types of same kind of business, but. You know, if we don't have that luxury of launching to, into a new retailer, um, we'd have to kind of create some kind of timeline of how to increase your your sales price to what it's worth. Uh, one thing that might happen is you just come out with a kind of a new branding element. Say, hey, this is the new and improved um, product, you know, version, you know, that's why Apple does it all the time, right? Apple right. 1, 5, 6, now 10. So this is this is version 2.0. And you have a new price. And so new version, obviously, there has to be something a little bit different than the old one, obviously. Otherwise, people are just going to say, hey, this is, the, this is the old one, but just with a, a new price. So you have to create some additional value around that with its new packaging, mm-hmm. some other designs, some additional accessories that go along with it. You know, maybe bundle it with um, multiple products as, as opposed to just selling one at a time. So somehow you got to create some additional value, perceived value around that product when you're going to increase the price that much, right? Twice as much. If it's a 5, 10, 15% increase in price, it's not usually a big deal. Usually it's not, like I said earlier, customers are pretty perceptive. They usually already know when you're already underpriced. So when you go up to 15%, you don't usually lose customers. In fact, you usually gain more because people that weren't doing business with you before see the new price and kind of have this, you know, we all kind of make um, value perceptions on price. If it's lower than what, we would perceive the value should be, then we kind of are a little suspicious and we actually won't buy something when it's lower price when the marketing suggests that it should be a higher value. Mm-hmm. Right? You ever, yeah. I mean, if I, if I was going to sell you the iPhone 10 for a hundred bucks, right. be a little suspicious. <laughs> so, yeah. so right. but when you increase the price to what it's worth, um, people will buy it. It's interesting. Yeah. When we have a price increase, mm-hmm. I see this a lot mm-hmm. with my clients. When we have the price increase, Absolutely. we actually gain more customers. <clears throat> yeah. That's so good because lear- I've been learning too um, that pricing is, is not just a transactional thing, but it's, a, it's really communication. Um, you know, when you give a price, you're, you're saying a lot with that price. You're saying um, this is a level of quality you're really going to get. And so, um, then that happened to me too. I, I raised my prices and I actually saw an increase and maybe it's just because of, of time. I was a newer company. I was still growing, but it definitely didn't, um, slow down the volume of mm-hmm. clients at all. Like it's it increased. And also, um, it didn't keep any of my clients from, you know, backing away or anything because, um, most of them, I think, I mean, yeah, most people like who actually have a successful business and those are the ones that if you're in the service, you want to work with more successful, right? And because there'll be more longevity in that relationship, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, they, they kind of understand, you know, they, they're going to, they're going to get what they pay for. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So I, I think, um, yeah, so for me, um, raising prices was, was actually really good. Um, <laughs> and even now as a business owner too, like, 
if I see someone who charges really little, you know, I, I have a feeling they might cut corners. They don't believe in themselves. And I want to work with winners. I want to work with people. If they know how to make money for their, their business, mm-hmm. they'll probably know how to make money for mine too. Yeah. And so I think you're communicating that I have a winning attitude and I, I appreciate my work and you will too. Yeah. And you have the luxury to actually put more into it right? as a service-based business right. like yours. You know, you're willing to put everything you, you got into it because they're paying you a good amount of money. So, which means, mm-hmm. hey, I've got the luxury. I've got the time. I don't need to have 10 clients anymore. I can just exactly. cut it down to five if I charge the right amount. Mm-hmm. And so now, instead of spinning my wheels, having 10 clients at a time at, let's just say, you know, $5,000 for the month, for, you know, for all 10 clients, you know, between all 10 clients. Well, if I have my charging the same amount, if I get the same amount, $5,000 in a month, but only have to work with five clients. Now I have more time because I'm only right. dealing with five clients to give the best product, exactly. the best service possible. You know, you just said earlier, you know, you get what you pay for. People say that all the time. Yeah. But yet as a business owner, a lot of times we don't charge for what we are giving. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's just kind of interesting how that works. So, you know, getting back to how do we set, how much do I charge? Exactly. I said, well, you obviously got to cover all your costs, but the value is, look, how much, how much, like, just say for service-based business, how much clients do I want? What's the most clients I want to handle in a month? Mm-hmm. You know, based on that, how much do I need to charge That's, in order to make it worth my while? That's really good, yeah. On the product side, kind of similar, similar thing. Look, I only have, you know, to give great service, you know, it's, even selling products is not just a transaction. There's a lot of customer service that goes behind it, too. Mm-hmm especially if you have a brick and mortar store or even if you have an e-commerce business, you know, there people, you know, customers are going to call or going to email with questions and issues. So you want to build a good customer service team to handle the requests, to handle any transactional issues or mistakes or whatever. You want to make sure you're on top of those things. Um, or even if there, someone's uh, make a comment on, uh, on your Facebook page or Twitter, you want to, you want to always be, um, be communicating with them. So even in an e-commerce business, you're still communing with customers at some level. You know, what does it make worth worth our while? You know, what should we charge beyond just what the product is, you know, what we're paying for the product and an X amount, but we also got to build in the price, how much we're, we're paying in our labor costs for our customer service team to deliver the best mm-hmm. service and experience yeah. to our customer. <laughs> so when you have a product-based business, a lot of times all they're thinking about is making, you know, covering their costs plus a little bit extra, but you got to think about what are all the other things that go into the customer service and the customer experience. You got to build that cost into the price as well. And that's where a lot of people kind of lose it as well. So how do you come up with the right, right price? Well, like I said earlier, we started this conversation. It's a little subjective, (laughs) but you got to think about what are the things that go into providing the best experience for our customer and how much does that all cost? cost me as a business it's not just the product itself or the materials to build the product but there's all the other labor work and and the thought behind it and the innovation that goes behind it to build this thing and provide the best experience so all those things need to be considered to to get to that price yeah any last so good yeah Yeah. like um yeah last thoughts for, for me is that with the like pricing, I just want to say like for, for me going into, I want to thank you for helping with me with my pricing because, you know, especially after I changed it, after I kind of restructured, you know, my pricing model, 
um, it really helps me not only with the business, but like you said, it frees up so much time. And that's just the one thing that really, it, it can really, it's a little bit of a risk, but when you do it right, I'm, I'm sure it'll work, you yeah. know, for any company when it's done right, it'll really work. Um, but it's the one thing that can really make or is breaking, you know, your <laughs> yeah. business and it does it free up so much time. And just, you know, just the fact that every single sale or every single client you could bring in, you know, that much more money, it's, it's, uh, it changes everything, you know, it just changes the productivity of your work. It changes mm-hmm. you as an owner, how much time you have in the week to spend with your family. And, you know, so it's, a it's a, it's really important. And, you know, um, for anyone who's watching, it can be just the one single biggest thing, you know, that could change, um, the success of your business. So, yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to end it, Eric. Cause, um, uh, you know, whenever I come into these businesses that are struggling, that is the one thing that changes the whole dynamic because you just hit on it time. Yeah. You know, one of the things when you increase the price of what you're worth, you're increasing your profit margins. But it's not just about the financial margins, it's also about the time margin. Yeah. So the time margin, what you said, ha- having time at home <laughs> without yeah. having to work, you know, 12, 13 hour days. Um, but when you have that extra time, personal time as well, you also have the time to think about and really strategize about your business, mm-hmm. about thinking long term or what are the things I need to bring in long term to build this business over the next five mm-hmm. to 10 years. But <clears throat> when you're so stressed, when your margins are low in profit, then your margins are low in time as well, which means the business owners now working in the day-to-day stuff more than they should be, which means they have their head down and they're just worried about getting through the day, getting through the week, making payroll instead of having their head up and looking big picture. So that keeps a business from moving forward and really growing the way it should because they don't have that luxury of time to, to be able to do that. So that, setting the price to what you're worth will increase that margin, not just in profits, but also time. So that's a great way to end it, Eric. And thanks once again for, for hanging with me this, this week or this morning. I think great way to start a Monday. Hopefully some more people um, watch this and listen to this, you know, especially the recording and on podcast, but everyone, thank you again for listening to the purpose and profitability podcast. If you have any other business questions or topics that you'd like to hear about, email me at prosper at i61businessdevelopment.com. That's prosper at the letter I, the number 61, businessdevelopment.com, or go straight to the Facebook page, Purpose and Profitability, if you're not already on there, and just go ahead and post it on there. And then tune in next week as I discuss the holy grail of marketing and sales with guest co-host Kevin Steib of SBA Los Angeles. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. This is Robert Fukui, and remember... Purpose plus profit equals transformation. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. For more information, please visit purposeandprofit.com.